Amen. Begin to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. While you're turning there, please allow me to say one more word of thanks. Again, I sure do appreciate all of your hospitality. The accommodation's been great. The food, I almost hate being in here right now when there's quesadillas in the hallway. That's a... I hate to leave the quesadillas, but everything's been wonderful, and I appreciated the singing, the fellowship. Thank you for all of you who have come to speak to me. I just really love being here and appreciate the atmosphere. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, let's read verses 1 through 21. I'm going to try to be very practical and, Lord willing, help the young people this afternoon if I could. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children. Watch that word. You'll see it repeatedly. Certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes. Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof he, they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which should eat of the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink, and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. Heavenly Father, bless, I pray, the reading of your word as these wonderful words of life and history get down deep in our hearts. Help us to understand them. Lord, help me to communicate them properly. I pray that you'd empty me of self and selfish desire of any thought of vain glory. May I glorify Christ and accurately preach his word. Do your perfect work through your perfect word today. And for everything you do, we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I emphasized that word children several times as I read the text. A couple of those times it simply referred to them as descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But multiple of those references actually dealt with the fact that they were actual children. They were young people. I used to be one of the young preachers. And then a few months ago, a guy contacted me and he said, The boy, I just wanted to thank you for being a help to us young preachers. That hurt. I got that really hurt. I mean, that just cut me on a deep personal level, man. It really did. But I know that I'm, I'm not a young person anymore, but I sure do 
love young people. I love the young people in my church. I prize them. I love the young people here, and I appreciate what God is doing with them. And, and, and I remember back what it was like to be a young person. I got called to preach very young. And I, I started preaching really regularly at 12 years old. And when I was uh, 12 years old, I preached, and they recorded and that kind of thing, and I didn't think much about it. But, but several years ago, I was going through some, some boxes, and I found an ancient artifact, and it was called a cassette tape. Young people don't know what cassette tape is, but I found one of those things, and it was me preaching when I was 12 years old. And in order to, to access the data that is on that, that, that thing, you had to find an equally obscure object called a cassette tape player. So it took me a while, and I finally found one, and I popped it in, and I listened to myself preaching as a 12-year-old boy. It was, it was really weird to hear yourself say, Open your Bible, Sir John, chapter 3. I mean, it's a really, really odd chapter. really sounds sort of weird, man. But... But before I preached, there was another young man in church that gave a testimony. He, I remembered him well because our youth group was very small. And, and he was seven years older than me. He was 19, but he and I were good friends because, again, we didn't have any kids in the youth group. And he gave a long testimony. He was called to preach, too, about how he wanted to just set, set the world on fire for the Lord and do a great work for the Lord. Man, just a great testimony. And then he, he finished his, his, uh, his testimony, and then, I, then I, I preached. And I got to listen to myself preaching that cassette tape. And I, I thought, man, that's wild. And I put it up, and I didn't, I, I, I didn't, didn't think much about it. I'll come back to that story towards the end of this and, and tell you how it came out. And for now, just understand that Daniel and his three friends came into Babylon as children. They're most likely 14 or 15 years old. And the last verse of this text tells us that Daniel continued unto the first year of King Cyrus. And though he continued unto the first year of King Cyrus, meaning he continued in service, he actually lived, according to Daniel 10.1, at least to the third year of Cyrus. In other words, Daniel came into Babylon as a child. He lived there for the rest of his life. He is most likely in his early 90s by the time that he dies. And the important thing about all this is that he lived for God the entire time. When he was a teenager, he was living for God. When he was in his 20s, he's living for God. When he's in his 30s, he's living for God. When he's in his 40s, he's living for God. When he's in his 50s, he's living for God. 60s and 70s, he's living for God. 80s, he's still living for God. He lives for God until he sees God face to face. There is no fall off in the life of Daniel. And I've been pastoring this June. It'll be for 26 years now. And that's long enough to have seen a couple of generations come up through our church. And I know the other pastors have seen the same thing. We all have high hopes for our young people, but there's this, this barrier that they face, this hump, if you will. They, they're raised up in church, and as little kids, they're brought there day in and day out, and they hear all of this, and then they become teenagers, and they're, they're still brought, but then they get to where they're driving, and, and then they get to where they've graduated high school, and then they get to where they're, they're, out, they're out on their own. And sometime in that 19 to 22, 23 range, statistically, there is this huge number of drop-offs. There's this hump they cannot seem to get over. There's this, there's this fall off where kids who have grown up knowing the truth and doing right sometimes go absolutely reprobate and go out on all of the things of God and just give up everything they've ever believed and live horrible, wicked lives for the devil himself. I've seen them grow up saying they were saved and go off to college and come out saying they didn't even believe in God anymore. That doesn't have to be the case. If Daniel made it all the way through, and if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as far as we can tell, they made it all the way through as well. If they made it over the hump for God, you can make it over the hump for God. You don't have to fall out by the way. You who are here this year can be here next year, and the year after that, and the year after that. And you can be here in your 20s and in your 30s, and you can have your children raised up in the right way. You don't have to fall out by the way. So I want to preach for a few moments on the subject, getting over the hump for God. 
I want to examine the life of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to find out how they did it. Because if we find out how they did it, we can get a good pattern for how we can do it. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, notice first of all, there must be the internalization of truth. Daniel 1 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Now understand, there were roughly a thousand or so other young people taken into Babylon along with Daniel. Back home in Judah, they had spent all of their young lives having truth poured on to them. Their parents had poured truth on to them. Their priests had poured truth on to them, at least as far as there were some good priests in those days. Sometimes there weren't. The prophets, Jeremiah and others, had poured truth on to them. They had given the truth to the exterior of them. But the truth is poured on and on and on. But if it's only poured on, it's never really going to get you over the hump for God. Look at what it said in Daniel 1.8 again. But Daniel purposed in his heart, in his heart, in his heart, that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Nobody can grab your heart and open it up and pour truth into you. The truth we've spent years pouring into you, the truth your pastors and your parents have spent years pouring onto you, it'll have to become, be at some point, you have to take it in and make it your own. At some point in your adulthood, you're going to have to get over the hump that you have truly, consciously internalized all of this, and you're going to have to say, it's mine, whether anybody else pours it onto me or not, whether I ever hear it again, this truth is mine now. Daniel and Babylon did not have a prophet making him do right. He didn't have a mom and dad making him do right. They were long dead. Didn't have any priests making him do right. But somewhere along the way, Daniel internalized all the truth he had been hearing all these years. Somewhere along the way, he said, this is true, and I'm taking it in, and I'm living by it, no matter what anybody else tells me to do or not. And preached a revival some years ago. I was dealing with this subject, and after the service was over, a 17-year-old young lady came to myself and Miss Dana, my wife. She said, can, we, can, can I come talk to you for a few minutes? I said, no problem. We went back to the back of the church. We sat down, and she began to sob and to cry uncontrollably. When she finally calmed herself down a little bit, I said, young lady, what's going on? She said, preacher, what you talking about, about having to stand for right. She said, preacher, you just don't understand. She said, I'm saved. I've grown up in this church, and my family grew up in this church, and they always told us to do right, and they always told us to listen to the truth of Scripture. And recently, my family got out of source with God and started doing some things wrong, and the pastor came to them and had to confront them about it, and my family blew out of church, and I had to go to my own parents and say, look, we're, we're doing wrong. You're, you're doing different than what you've always told me. You've gone the exact exact opposite way and my mother looked me in the eye and said if you stand with them then you are excommunicated from this family you're no longer my daughter I want nothing more to do with you she said preacher I'm 17 years old I'm now in a little apartment on my own trying to keep the lights on with a minimum wage job she said preacher I'm scared to death what do I do I said did you do right she said I did I said are you standing for truth she said I am I said then stand just stand just stand she said, Preacher, I'll do my best. A few months later, she called us. She said, Preacher, Miss Dana, do you remember that big guy that sang in the choir that day? I said, I do. She said, he asked me out on a date. What do you think? I said, I like the sound of that. She called back a few, few, few months later. She said, Preacher, you know the big guy that I'm on a date with? I said, yeah. She said, she said he, he asked me to go steady. What do you, Miss Dana, think? I said, I, I like the sound of that. That's pretty cool, man. She called a few months later. She said, Preacher, you know that guy I've been going to steady with? I said, yeah. I, she, he, 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 he asked me to, to marry him. What do you think? I said, I like the sound of that. She called back a few months later. She said, Preacher, we set a date. Can you help preach my wedding? I said, I love the sound of that. 
Dana and I went up there and helped to preach her wedding. She's now still faithfully in church, raising her own babies for the Lord. Internalize the truth. Take it in. Make it yours. Never back down from it. At some point, you're going to have to internalize the truth. I respect my mother. She is one of the godliest ladies I've ever known in my entire life. But please understand, we came from a weird background. We just did. We, we didn't know anything. I mean, she, she got saved at a Billy Graham crusade and just took us to a little non-denominational church in the area. And then I got saved at that little non-denominational church. And, and then when I was 16, I got invited to this weird thing I'd never heard of before called an independent Baptist church. And, 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 and I went for the most spiritual reasons. A girl invited me. And, and, and I went there to that church. And, and you know, we, we broke up after a while. But I, I, by that time, I'd fallen in love with it and just stuck around. But, but it dawned on me, my mom was going to a different church at that time. We didn't know any better. Like I said, weird background. We had no idea we were supposed to go to church together. So she's going to another church across town. I'm going to church on my own with, with this girl, then by myself. And it dawned on me, I could skip church. And nobody would ever know. You know how many times I skip church? None. Because by that time, Hebrews 10.25 had become mine. And I knew I wasn't to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And at 16 years old, I wanted to be there and was always there. And I wasn't out running around because it was my truth internalize this truth if everybody you ever look up to falls you don't have to internalize this truth this is the truth of scripture never back down from it there's got to be the internalization of truth but if you're going to go over the home for God there's also got to be individualization of character look at verse 8 again Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there's a thousand others or so taken into Babylon together at, at the same time. But when push came to shove, most of them together as a crowd chose to do wrong. Daniel chose to stand alone. We find the word he in this verse twice, even though he had three friends with him. Now, why is that? It says as an indication that even if they had joined the other 996 or so, Daniel was still determined to stand alone if need be. When I was in college getting a, a degree in communication technology years ago H had to watch a psychology had to take a psychology class if you ever really want to get weird take a psychology class but I had to take a psychology class and, and they made us watch a video on peer pressure and they didn't realize how how scriptural the truth was in it they, they showed a video a company had come to town and was having a little job fair and nobody realized it was actually a psychological test and they invited people into this job fair and everybody got there and they were sitting in the waiting room and one by one they would call people in for their interview well, people didn't know that everybody else was in on the setup. They called somebody in to that interview. They called a young lady into the interview. And, and, and after a few minutes of silence, you could hear her go, No, no, oh, oh no. And a guy, a guy started to get up. He's the only one that wasn't in on it. He started to get up. And everybody else went, And he sat back down. A few minutes later, No, no, please don't. And he jumps up and he looks around. Everybody goes, and he sat back down. This happened three different times. As far as he knew, somebody was getting assaulted in there, but because nobody else wanted to step up and take a stand, he wouldn't take a stand. Yeah. It was peer pressure. Listen to me very carefully. If you're going to ever get over the hump for God, you better make sure that you have got the individualization of character. You better be ready to stand alone if you have to. Because there'll be some times where you find yourself having to stand alone. Oh, when Dana got pregnant with our first child, Caleb, we had to take a Lamaze class. How many of you remember Lamaze classes? Had to take these Lamaze classes, and, and one of the classes, they showed us a video, about a 20-minute video. The video was on child discipline, and it was on spanking. 
And they spent 20 minutes telling us how spanking was the most horrible thing in the entire universe and no child should ever be spanked or physically disciplined in any way. And you're probably some kind of a child abuser if you think otherwise. You probably need to go to jail. I mean, they just went on and on and on and on and on and on. And they got, they got them this video. The nurse shut off the video. And she said to the class, now what do y'all think of that? And I mean, it was so quiet, you could have heard a pin drop. And I went. She said, yes, Mr. Wagner. I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's as dumb as a bag of hair. That's absolutely ridiculous. And as soon as I said it, everybody else, yeah, I'm telling you what's dumb as my parents playing me. That's going fine, man. We might have had a ride in that room, man. Somebody stands for the truth. And all of a sudden, others are willing to stand for the truth. Listen, be willing to stand for the truth even if you feel like you have to stand alone. I love it when kids hit the altar and pray together and praise together and testify together, but that's all we. If you're going to make it over home for God, you better know what there's going to come a time where it's going to be you. You better be willing to stand all by yourself. If you're going to make it over the hump for God, there's got to be the internalization of truth, the individualization of character. Number three, though, there's got to be the cultivation of a godly inner circle. Look at verses 6 and 7. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, on whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, to Mishael of Meshach, to Azariah of Abednego. Now just a moment ago I told you that character needs to be individualized. That's entirely true. But now I'm also telling you there's incredible benefit to the cultivation of a godly inner circle. Simply put, you don't need the crowd to do right, but if you cultivate a godly inner circle, it's much easier to do right. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's not just Daniel. It's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not just Peter. It's Peter and James and John. It's not just Paul in the prison. It's Paul and Silas in the prison. If you cultivate this godly inner circle, it is much easier to do right. If you will find those that are determined to do right, and you will hook up with those who are determined to do right, and you will stay with those who are determined to do right, you'll probably keep on doing right. You'll probably go to the hunt for God. Some years ago, Dan and I went to a new restaurant in Asheville, North Carolina, and it was crowded. The lobby, huge lobby, huge lobby was crowded. And then we go in, we put our name on the, on the list, and, and there's this big pile in the middle, and people on this side, people on this side. And there's a Middle Eastern, young Middle Eastern looking girl sitting over on the side over there. And while we're sitting there, sitting around waiting, two Middle Eastern guys came in and went to where she was and grabbed her by each arm and dragged her out of the restaurant. Now, there's this, this second where you go, like, did I just see that? And it dawned on me, I had seen that. I told Dana, I said, stay here, and I headed for the door. And I knew pretty well, there's, there's two of them, there's one of me. This is probably going to be a really interesting situation we're about to have here, but it's got to be done. So I'm, I'm, I'm going after them, we'll see what happens. But the time, by the time I hit the door on this side, another set of hands had hit the door on this side. Somebody on the other side of the restaurant had seen what I had seen, and we hit the door at the same time. So now I'm feeling pretty good. All right, so we run out of the parking lot, we see the car they've gotten into. I run around to the passenger side, this other dude runs around to the driver's side, and when he got there, he did something I did did not see coming. He whipped out his wallet, flipped it open. There's a badge there, slammed the badge against the window, and went, get out of the car. And I went, yeah, what did he say? Yeah. I was feeling pretty good right about then, man. Thought we had the upper hand going on. Listen, if you'll, if you'll cultivate a godly inner circle, you'll find the strength to get you over the hump. I was about 19 years old, and I was, to be honest with you, I was struggling with some things. I was really struggling with some things. And a couple of guys came to me in church, and they said, hey, let's meet, let's meet up on Monday night. I said, for what? They said, let's just sing some songs and pray. I went, all right. 
We started meeting at each other's house on Monday night. We just spent an hour singing and praying and worshiping. And we did this Monday after Monday after Monday after Monday. And all of a sudden, the things I've been struggling with, I wasn't struggling with anymore. Listen to me. If you will cultivate a godly inner circle, if you'll find out who's really going with the Lord and go with them, you'll probably make it over the hunt for God. But if you segment yourself out, if you separate yourself from those who are going the right, then you're probably not going to make it over the hump for God. If you're going to make it over the hump for God, there's also going to be the examination of the reality of God in your lives. Now, I'm all in favor of apologetics. I love it. I do it. But I've known a lot of people who knew apologetics very thoroughly and yet turned their backs on God. But I've rarely ever seen someone who truly developed a walk with the real God and saw Him do real works in their lives turn their backs on God. Look at verses 12 through 15. He said, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which should eat the portion of the king's meat. Now Daniel told the prince the eunuchs to prove them, put them to the test. But what was really happening was that they were proving God to see if he would come through. And when this is done with the right attitude for the right reason, it's not a bad thing, nor is it an unbiblical thing. He said in Malachi 3.10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I want to open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. This is literally God inviting them to put him to the test and to see that he is real. Now, exactly where Daniel and his companions doing this, where they're asking for a vegan diet. They're asking to eat mashed up flavorless vegetables and to drink water. Now, I spent, spent a decent amount of time in the gym, and I can tell you this, the people that are on, on a vegan diet are not the ones doing like 800-pound squats and 300-pound bench presses. They're, they're generally the ones on the treadmill that look like they are three steps from death. That's vegan, okay? And I mean, if you're a vegan, God bless you, but vegan is an old Cherokee word that means lousy hunter. I'm just saying, that's all that is. But, but they're, they're, they're asking for a vegan diet and saying, after 10 days on a vegan diet, we will look fairer and fatter in flesh than everybody around here. That's not possible. It's got to be God if that comes to be. They said, just, just trust us. We're going to prove God in this. I'm telling you, we believe God will, be come, will come through for us. Under all circumstances, this is, this is not going to work. But it works this time because they are proving God and they are seeing that He will because He said He would. I'm not talking about being materialistic and asking for a Lamborghini. I'm not talking about being lustful and asking for some guy or girl. But I'm telling you, to be in the habit of examining the reality of God in your life. When He asks you to do something, do it. When he tells you to step out on faith, do it. Ask him, in fact, for opportunities to step out on faith because the more you see him come through, the more you'll know he's real and the less likely you'll ever get out. I would say there's probably a lot of people that can argue me out of God on the apologetics sense. They probably can because they're better reasoners than I am, but they're not going to argue me out of God on the practical sense because I've seen him over and over and over and over. Our church is doing really well right now, but I mean, several years ago, we were not doing really well. I mean, we were like 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 one bad offering away from being dead, kind of not doing well. And, and I'd be up there preaching. And our pews were 25 years old when they came to us, and they were made of pasteboard. They were used, and we'd, we'd gotten them from church, and we'd put them back together, assembled And I'd be up there preaching, and I'd hear, pop! And I'd look out, and I'd see somebody go, Phew. And I'd see people like birds on a wire, sliding down. 
and, 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 and I'd go in the next week and I'd, I'd fix the pew, I'd, I'd brace it up, and they were breaking faster than I could fix them. And I said, Lord, Lord, we've, we've got to do something. What, what are we going to do? And, and, and I, know, I know the Lord laid it on my heart, buy, buy new chairs, interlocking chairs to the auditorium. And I said, is there anybody else I could talk to? <laughs> I knew, I knew how bad we were doing. And, and, and no, he, he wouldn't let me out. So I went to the church and said, look, we need, need to buy some, buy some chairs. And, and they, a few people bought a few chairs here and there. We just weren't getting any. We had some fundraisers and didn't, didn't do very much. We had an old school bus in the side yard, an old 62 passenger cheese wagon that had been given to us. And when we drove it into the parking lot, the engine blew in the parking lot. So we pushed it off into the grass on the side over there. And it just sat there for a year and a half. The engine locked up. I called my mechanic. I said, Mike, look, metal's real high right now. And if I wanted to start that thing up and get it to the scrapyard, how would I do it? He said, you can't. I said, come on, man, look, I mean, get the, really, throw me a bone here or something. He said, I'm telling you, preacher, you can't start. I said, look, if I really was interested, he said, look, preacher, it's been there locked up for a year and a half. It's not been healed in the meantime. It's not gotten any better. It's only gotten worse. It's not going to start. But if you have nothing better to do to waste time, go out there and hook up a gigantic set of jumper cables to it, to a huge truck, pour fuel directly into the carburetor and try to, but I'm telling you, it's not going to start up. I said, thank you. That's all I need to know. So I started out to the parking lot. Dana started out after me because she loves to watch me do ill-advised things. And we got to the parking lot, and I let that thing charge for a while, and then I poured some fuel into the carburetor, and I went in there, and I, I stuck the key in there, and I... And it fired up! And this black plume of smoke is coming over Mooresboro. Looks like a bomb has gone off. She said, she said what, 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 what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to drive it. She said, she said, but it doesn't have a license tag. I said, stay right behind me. She said, but you don't have a CDL. I said, stay right on my bumper, woman. And... I started that thing down towards the highway and I prayed, please God, don't let anybody be coming. And I wheeled it onto the highway and slammed the gas and I'm going to that and I'm not making it up. Parts were falling off of it and rolling into the ditch on the side. I'm praying, please Lord, don't let anybody hit anything and die. I'm going to be under a jail. It is 12 miles to the scrapyard from our church. Finally, I make it to the 11 mile mark. I can see the sign shining up in the distance. I'm praying, please God, don't let anybody be on the scale. There's always somebody on the scale. And I wheeled it. There's nobody on the scale. I slammed the gas. <laughs> It died on the scale. They could not start it. They had to push it off with an excavator. Not my problem, Jack. God got it exactly as far as it needed to go. I left there with $1,462 for chairs singing in love, Jesus. Something wonderful, wonderful. I went to church Sunday morning. And told that exact same story. There'd been a college girl that'd been visiting for two weeks, and you, you know the college girls are just loaded with money, right? She came to us after service. She said, Preacher, how many chairs do you have left? I told her. She said, I want to give a little something forward. I said, That's fine. She went off and wrote a check and came back and handed it to Dana, who stands by the door. And we kept on shaking hands, and after everybody was left, Dana pulled out the check and went, <gasps> There was a check for $4,250 paying for every last chair in our church. If you come and sit in our church, you're come sitting on proof that God's real. <laughs> Examine the reality of God in your life. Look at what he does for you. Step out on faith and watch him meet the need. And you'll get over the hump for God. One last thing quickly, if you're going to get over the hump for God, there needs to be supplication that goes far beyond a form and a fashion. In Daniel chapter 2, let me tell you the story. Nebuchadnezzar has dreamed a dream. He is really upset. He calls a wise man and he says, I can't remember the dream, but I know it's bad. Tell me what it meant. Tell me what it was. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Well, they, they can't tell them what the dream means. They say, well, only the gods can do this, and they're the, they're the gods who's dwelling on earth. Man, you're not important enough for that. You don't tell a megalomaniac something like that. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar said, that's fine. Kill them all. Kill all the wise men. Find them all the wise men. Just kill them all if they're that worthless. Daniel, a few minutes later, hears, 
Opens the door in the middle of the night. Hey, Arioch, what's going on, man? Oh, not much, not Daniel, just a little something, something, you know, out here killing people for the king and stuff. <laughs> so, look, man, no, uh, nothing personal or anything. I need you to put your head on the table. I got to kill you. Whoa, wait, what? What's going on, man? Well, the king's had a dream. He can't remember it. He's really upset about it. And wise men couldn't tell him. See, he wants to kill all of them. Daniel says, wait a minute, bring me in before the king. They've gone before the king. And Daniel says, if you'll give me time, I'll talk to my God. And he'll give the king an answer. He goes back to his room and tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego what's going on, and they pray. Oh, do they pray. And God gives the exact answer to the prayer. And they go in there, and they say, King, let me tell you what the dream was and what it means. You know why Daniel made it to his 90s? Because he'd seen God answer very, very specific prayer. I mean, not general stuff. I mean, he'd written it down and knew it. And I mean, it was so specific that it just absolutely had to be God. If you will be in the habit, young people, of keeping a prayer journal right now and of seeing what God does and writing down the dates and writing down the details, you will have concrete, personal proof that God is real and you'll get over the hump for God. Went into court a few weeks after I listened to that tape trying to help a family and church with some things. The judge began to call out names. And he called out the name of the first guy that I heard on the tape that I had not seen since childhood. And I looked around the courtroom and I didn't see him or anything. I thought I surely recognized him. When he called out his name, a guy stood up from right in front of me. He looked like he was 30 years older than me. His face was sunken and sallow and he smelled like he'd been under a bridge and he got up there and turned around, sat down on the stand. I went, oh. it was that guy that was on the tape during a break in court proceedings. We went out in the hallway, came behind him. I'll call him Fred. I said, Fred, you probably don't remember me. He said, Brother Bo, I remember you real well. I said, man, what happened to you? He said, I just made some bad decisions and fell out along the way. He was going to prison for public drunkenness and abuse of a woman and drug trafficking. Made some bad decisions. Fell out along the way. Young people, you don't have to fall out along the way. You can be a Daniel. You can be a Daniel. If you'll make up your mind to do it God's way and to never back down and to internalize that truth and to individualize that character and to cultivate a godly inner circle and to examine the reality of God in your life and to have supplication that goes far beyond a form and a fashion, you won't fall out along the way. You'll get over the hump for God. You'll be the one of the ones still being talked about when the other 996 have disappeared from history with no one even knowing their names. Let's all stand. Heads about eyes are closed. If I could have someone come to the piano, if you don't mind. Someone come piano play. Young people, i got a question. Are you going to make it over the hump for God? Are you going to fall down along the way? Are you going to be the next reprobate that denies even the very existence of God? Whew. Young people, the devil wants you. He wants you because of your potential for God. Don't give in. Go all the way with God to your dying day. Go all the way with God. Young people are gathering around the altar. Y'all gather as close as you can, and we're going to pray over you in just a minute. Be praying over these things, young people. You be praying that God 
will grant you that you can make it all the way through. Just come on up. Come on up and join them. Come up and join them. We're going to pray. Just squeeze in as close as you can. Just come on. They're, they're still coming. Just come on. Just come on. Just come on. What are you going to be, young people? You're going to be a Daniel or you're going to be one of the 996 that fall out and get forgotten? What's it going to be? Heavenly Father, thank you for these precious young people and their churches and their families, their pastors. Lord, there is unlimited potential in this room and at this altar among this youth group. Father, they could turn the world upside down for you. God, we've reached the era and the age of dragons, and Lord, you've raised up dragon slayers, and the devil wants them. Lord, I pray that you would help them to stand for you forever. Lord, let them not listen to the siren call of the world and the flesh and the devil. May they take this truth in and make it their own and live by it, whether anybody else does or not, no matter who falls around them or in front of them. Dear God, may they pray and see you answer. May they step out on faith and see you come through. God, may they bind together in twos, threes, fours, fives, sixes, and tens. And Lord, stand together and undergird one another, dear Lord, as they grow. Father, I pray they'll stay right and that they'll marry right and that they'll raise their children right and then see their grandchildren after them walking in the ways of the Lord if you tarry your coming that long. God, may this be the generation that shakes the foundations of earth before you come. Lord, I commit them to your hands for safekeeping and beg you, please do mighty things with them. And Lord, please, we who are older, oh God, don't let us do anything stupid or ill-advised in front of them to shake their confidence. Lord, may we, may we who have lived right, may we die right, dear God, so that they can have the confidence to know that we meant what we said. Oh God, help them. We give them to you in Christ's name.